0: Ladies and gentlemen, all of you filmmakers across the world, we are delighted to welcome you to the 100th episode of
1: the
2: Filmmakers Podcast. Hello and welcome. Yes, this is our 100th episode. 100 of them. Can you believe it? We have done... 100 episodes technically it's actually a couple more than 100 but hey who's counting this is the official one. Oh my gosh it's the 100th episode this is crazy yes it is so we thought for the 100th episode we would go on a journey and celebrate yeah that's right celebrate all these podcasts by giving you some of the best moments some of the best bits from the podcast over the last year and a half there are some episodes that are amazing. Um, there have been some amazing guests. And some of them I couldn't fit in. Yes, there were so many I had to choose. And plus I wanted to try and get the best bits of that. And sometimes it didn't make sense or it went on too long. Uh, and I've only got 60 minutes to fit it all in. So I might do another one in the future. If this goes down well, why not do a best stop later? I mean, this is just a best stop for now. Oh my gosh, this could go on. Well, this could go on for years. <laughs> oh this could go on for years as long as you keep supporting us we'll keep doing them um, plus it's really nice to get the word out about indie films which is what this set out to do was help indie filmmakers help ourselves and help you become better filmmakers and learn from this and i hope you have and i hope you've taken something from this and that means the world to us So, like I say, some legends have been on this podcast. And some legends you will hear again today. Some voices you will want to hear again. And if you feel like it, why not go listen back to the whole episode? Because this will be a lovely reminder. But it was hard to edit. It was hard to trim it all down. But I did it. And here it is. And this is it. Oh my. I'm not going to do a full list of some of the guests that we've got. You'll be surprised when they turn up. But I will tell you this. We do have an Oscar winner and I'll tell you this, we do have someone who's starring the next Marvel film and I'll tell you this, we have so many people that I love and think are fantastic. That is enough to keep you listening. Um, Time for a celebration indeed. As, (laughs) nice segue there, as myself and Dan Richardson at 92% time of recording on our crowdfunder. So last day is tomorrow, Wednesday. So if you're going to get involved, if you're going to contribute, if you're going to retweet, if you're going to share, now is the time. Help us get to 100%. We literally have two days. So uh, it means the world to me, whatever support you can give. Um, So if you like this podcast, why not? Help me out. Give a little share. If nothing else, link is in the show notes to that. And let's celebrate Raindance because we, the Filmmakers Podcast on Raindance, have 20% off you entering their fantastic festival. That's right. RD Podcast 20. Link is in the show notes. And you can be playing at Raindance at 20% less. What more do you want? Right. And I can tell you who next week's podcast guest is. Scott Scott Mann yeah that's right 101st podcast will be with the director of final score We worked with david batista on that which is out now and he's worked with robert Nero and he tells you all about that that's next week's podcast next tuesday do not miss it it's right let's get to it this is it it's exciting i'm trying to cut this short the intro short so that you can have the most of this 100th episode and the best of or some of the best ofs some of the best bits of some of the best bits of the best bits of the podcast you know what i mean enjoy have a lovely day whatever you're doing help us spread the word of this podcast thank you for listening i love you all for doing so and please do share like and subscribe hey do you know what we haven't had a nice review on itunes for a while so if you're liking this go on stick us a nice review and a five star on there why not make my day (sighs) so sit back relax and enjoy this week's 100th episode Of the Filmmakers podcast. First guest up is the lovely and wonderfully talented Deborah Haywood. And she tells us what it was like when she first went on set of her debut feature film Pincushion.
3: Your first feature should be to show everyone that you can tell a story over 90 minutes and show everyone who your voice is. Mm. And then your second feature should be confirming that you.
2: Had a that, voice. Yeah, yeah, that you had a voice and one. that, you know,
3: <laughs> yeah. that it wasn't a one-off. And then it, your third feature, that's when you st- should start thinking about audiences. And mm-hmm. um, mm. I mean, that, that, ideally, yeah, that right. is what you can do. But then, of course, you know, the opportunities to do that, are,
2: you know, far that's a different reality. Are you glad that you made the short films first before you made the feature? Oh,
3: God, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. Did it
2: help you? guide you so much into, from the mistakes you learned on the shorts yeah brought it into the feature
3: mistakes that i made as well which is like loads which right. i'm really grateful for and you know uh, continue to be grateful because that's when you learn the most of
2: course you do though at the time it still feels though
3: like at the time oh, it's god. just like oh my god yeah world's ended, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. ended. It's not, but then yeah. you look back and it's actually failure. Yeah. yeah it's such a
2: brilliant thing you yeah go, you've now got this brilliant cast yes you're now ready to shoot how it feel for you going from you know uh, short I was to
3: feature. absolutely, really, really, really terrified. Really, yeah, I was. I was so scared. I went for hypnotherapy. Wow. Yeah, because so I was so scared that I wouldn't did sleep. I... Because, uh, yeah, it did actually. <laughs> so when I'd make a short, because I think I'd had like really traumatic experiences when I was making my short of like what, what of like I? people undermining me or you know oh, because I'd got oh. no um, experience because when you go to direct a short oh, yeah. film. Quote-unquote
1: like, credibility yes. like that, yeah. yeah. Wow, so
3: guess. it's like you're the most inexperienced person there because the actors have probably been in something before, even if the kids, you know, if they go to an acting workshop or mm-hmm. whatever, they've probably been in something before.
2: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, the DOP, the gaffer and all that work. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gaffers
2: are always experienced. Yeah, sound, yeah, yeah. work yeah.
3: day in, day out, mm-hmm. all through the year. Yes. And here's you, first time on a film set ever. Or, you know, and even when I made Pinkerton, I think I've got 21 days of experience. On a film set. Shit, yeah. So, you know, it's a huge thing. And then to go on and you're supposed to, like, lead... lead, you lead the crew. You're the yeah. leader, yeah. And, and the captain like, of the ship. But they know, like, so much more than you. But...
2: Um, yeah, you just have to think yourself differently, yeah. don't you? Well,
3: I've
4: kind Assume of, the position. Yeah,
2: assume <laughs> the position, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I think what really helped is that I'd written it myself. So, because even if they thought oh, to themselves oh I wouldn't do that I'd got the because I'd written my script and I spent so many years on it I knew it inside out and mm. knew the characters inside out and knew what it was supposed to look so it's if you've got that vision then I think that and you've got trust in your vision then it, mm. that and that's what enables you to be able to lead. Mm.
2: So that was Deborah Haywood there talking with myself and um, Julian Kostoff was my guest host that day. She is the director of Pin Cushion. Right, on to our next guest. It is Ian Sharp, the producer of films such as Kickoff and The Marker. He's talking here about raising funds for his feature film Pleasure Island. I've
5: been in the game now as a producer since 2009 so being honest it's probably only been the last two or three years that things have changed really you know um i kind of I've made so many mistakes and failed so many times, which is super important, by the way. But um, it's only now that it's it's really kind of uh, got to a certain point where people take my calls and I can actually get meetings now and and, and whatnot, and people come to me and mm. stuff, which is great. How
2: That's, did yeah. you raise the, the funds for it? What did you do? Yeah, this, is that the same yeah. thing.
5: Basically, you know, as an outwork actor, I got I kind of got I got sick and tired of having no money, and so I I I started to get involved in in property. We'd, we'd managed to, to to secure some money, got very lucky, and. And I, and I wanted to do something with it and that was pleasure island that was the budget amazing Good i should say that. i should say we lost all the money uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah really <laughs> yeah we lost we lost all the money but i would do it again in a heartbeat because how's why how's why but just because like a hey, you've you've got to you've got to learn your craft you know you've got to yeah, do it and, yeah, yeah. and, and hey, it, yeah. it, it, it was an incredible experience but i wouldn't have got the budget the finance for my next movie right. if i hadn't made oh, that so, so there you go. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah.
2: i'd heard of the movie yeah. before i'd uh, met oh, you wow. i'd oh, heard cool. of it i knew about this movie cool so why do you feel it didn't uh, then make yeah. any money back what Man, was the many reasons?
5: i mean i mean we, we made a little bit of money and it went to to a few festivals but it, it didn't recoup at all like nowhere near uh and it, we wanted to make a film. It was an opportunity for me, again, as an actor to stretch myself and, uh, you know, to, I, I, for us to learn our craft as producers. Uh, so there's other ways of, of success without, you know, financial gains. But it was, uh, I mean, it did get out there. It got a few distribution deals. But again, you know, we had sales agents kind of sniffing around. I didn't understand the contracts. I didn't go any of that. Like who who teaches you that? You know, no one does exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just as a filmmaker or director or screenwriter to understand it, know what you're getting into. And you know, I know the film would sell in in certain territories and we'd be like, we're not, Getting any money for this? Like, what's going on? And uh, yeah. I, I will say, you know, once I became a film financier, that was a complete like, ah, now I know who actually makes uh, money yes. in this, in this, in this business, yeah. uh, which we can go into. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe the film just wasn't good enough, you know, maybe it just didn't, uh, hit the right nerves or whatever. But again, I would work with everyone again that worked on that film, you know, mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I, I had a great time and, and, you know, we, we got a lot of exposure and, you know, like I said, we got, uh Uh, finance for our next feature off the back of that which was the marker yeah which was the marker yeah ian sharp
2: there on producing indie films right next up is andy osho she was one of our first pretty much first she was in the first 10 of our podcast i believe it was episode seven it's one of the early ones she talks about film school here and what intimidates her as a filmmaker
6: Before I'd started the filmmaking, like proper sort of narrative filmmaking, I was like, I want to be able to know what I'm talking about a little bit and just get some of the basics down before I even put myself in front of a crew. And there's this place, New York Film Academy, that's got places all over the world. And I was like, let me just try Let me do just a short course there. And it was brilliant. It was exactly what I needed. We just like did classes on camera and working on all the technicalities of F-stops and all the rest of it. And We had a couple of directing classes, a couple of writing classes. I mean, it was really basic entry-level stuff, but it was enough from my post-production background and my acting background that I could piece together what I already knew to have the confidence now to put myself in front of a crew and just go, okay, we're we're making something.
2: Because that's one of the hardest things, isn't it? Having that right, okay, it's my vision, it's my thought, and now I've got to tell everyone else what that is.
6: Yeah. And it's getting over that hurdle. Yeah. And when you get over it, it's fine. Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, you've got to communicate it to a, to a crew, but you've got to know how you're going to realise it first. So even things like shot lists, to me, were just like, what? Uh, I don't even know where to start. But, you know, you you, you, you just sort of train yourself to think through it. And I'm, I'm sure as you do more films, you get more sophisticated shot lists or more that are more in keeping with your vision um, and more able to communicate your vision, but you just got to keep sort of plowing through it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, the Wachowskis went in with the matrix, like fully, they knew everything. They knew the entire world. And, the only thing that was in their way is that they hadn't worked to that scale before. So the, the studio got them to make another film and then they gave them the Was Matrix. it bound? Is that right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. So it's quite a good film. So, so, so the more, the more conceived the world is, the more people can go, ah, I get it. it you got to leave space for them to be able to contribute. Cause I, I feel like that's what execs want as well is to be able to have their say in something. But yeah, the more conceived it is, cause then they feel like they can trust you probably mm-hmm. if you know, if you know what you want. I think it's all about confidence as well. Sometimes if you're going, this is my
2: vision and what I need from this and what I want. And mm. I, I planned out the shots and I planned the
6: look. I, I think that really comes across strongly. Cause the thing that really intimidates me about filmmaking is when you see those filmmakers that have got a really clear vision and it, you see it in it, all their work, I find that so intimidating because it's like, God, how did you, how did you get to that place? But I suppose it's from constantly doing it and constantly finding your voice in the projects that you're doing and i suppose picking the ones that resonate with you mm-hmm. you hear about some pitch meetings where people get out and literally are acting out scenes i think if you've got the passion behind it people interpret that more than they will uh, seeing you have you, you know if you took you went to an fx studio and went oh, okay here's what the planes would look like here's it but if you've not got the passion and the heart and the sort of connection with your story. I think that's sort of irrelevant. I think it's got to start with the, the passion for the story and it being just part of you that you're just putting on the outside of your body almost.
2: The brilliant and talented Andy Osho there. She's currently starring in Curfew at the moment on Netflix. So if you're watching Curfew, that's Andy Osho. Next up is a big... Hollywood star and we we're delighted to get him on the podcast it is of course Mark Strong who obviously is the star of Kingsman he talks about Leonardo DiCaprio working with some big Hollywood directors and how you can trust them
7: I don't see the acting careers I don't know what it's like perhaps the same is true of directors but they're very rarely linear you know, you, like I said, it's not a meritocracy. You don't tend to do something that's good and then get something better, 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 better until you win an Oscar. Mm. It doesn't really work like that. It tends to kind of go up and down. You have quiet periods and busy periods. And all you can do really is gravitate towards the best work. That's what I try and do, the quality work. But mm-hmm. obviously also as I've got older, you have to balance it you have to do movies that will pay your bills mm. as well as movies for no money at all that you do because you love them. Mm. I don't need to answer your question. I don't think there was a moment where I thought, oh, things are changing. But there certainly did seem to be a moment where I joined the film club. Mm. Because over here, you're in the theater club, the TV club, or the film club. And sure. we can move between them, unlike in America. It's not quite so easy. But once you're in one, you're considered to be part of it. So I started to get films because... I had made films. I'd been in films. Yeah. And I was also lucky in that I, I, I wasn't a leading man. I was a character actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, that meant you could cross-fertilise all over yeah. the place. You know, you weren't just in a queue with all the other leading men for the leading role in a movie. Mm-hmm. You There was tons of character parts that you could play. So I got to do quite a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's mm. fantastic. Let's yeah. talk about working
2: with directors then. Because you've worked with so many. I've listed, obviously we talked about Roland Polanski, Danny Boyle, Ridley Scott a few times, Guy Ritchie, uh, Catherine Bigelow, Matthew Vaughan a few times. What is it that you find when working with directors? What's What's
7: important? What What's the connection for you? That's That's a very good question. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, without wishing to a name drop, I did a film with Leonardo DiCaprio and asked him how he made his choices as an actor and he said it's all about the director in movies. Mm-hmm. All about the director. He, he will watch a director's previous movies, he'll watch his stuff and he'll make a decision on the basis of that because he realizes mm-hmm. that directors are the people that take the raw footage or digital content or whatever into the editing room and make the movie. So you have to trust a director. Mm. So not only trust him that or her that they can make good films and tell a story using pictures... Mm-hmm but also that they're your mate behind the camera. That's really important. On Mm -hmm. set, when you're shooting day to day, you want somebody who's looking at the monitor who can say to you, no, 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 don't do that. That's that's wrong. Or I need a bit more there that I can't see what you're doing. Or just calm that down because you're over the top. Mm -hmm. Whatever the comment might be, it's basically that you need somebody who will guide you because you can't see what you're doing. All you can do is rely on your instinct, which is telling you to perform in a particular way or look in a particular way or sound in a particular way, but you need somebody to tell you who's looking at the monitor what's working and what isn't. And you can't always find that, funny enough, with directors. And that's actually why I've probably worked with Guy Ritchie and Matthew Vaughan a few times, is because they've become friends and I trust them.
2: And they're good at that. They're good at telling you what works and what doesn't.
7: They're not hung up with film school... Um, hang-ups like how you're supposed to, sure, in inverted yeah, commas, speak yeah. to actors. Mm. They'll just literally say, no, 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 that's shit. <laughs> <Great>. Don't do <laughs> that. It's do great. this. And you're like, great. okay, that's what I need to hear. It's invaluable, isn't
8: it? You yeah. can't, you can't yeah. put a price of, a value on that. It's absolutely fantastic. And, and, awesome. I, and I've so worked insightful. with directors
7: as well who are nervous about talking to actors. Mm -hmm. Because obviously directors Mm -hmm. cover a wide spectrum. You can get people coming from the theatre who really pride themselves on the fact that they can talk to actors and and help them with with dialogue and Mm -hmm. all that, but know nothing about where to put the camera or or about lenses. And on the other side, you get people who know everything about the depth of field and lenses and all that no idea how to speak to actors and also slightly terrified of it because they think there's some sort of technique. Mm. But again, to guys listening or girls who are making movies, there, there is no technique. You just need to try and communicate to the best of your ability because actors are very receptive. They want to do the thing well. And so if you can explain it to them in the best way possible, however that may be, you'll only ever win them over. Mm-hmm. The worst kind of director is the one who comes in and just thinks they know it, they know it all, telling everybody what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a great, person to work with
2: what's the best way for a director to work when they first come on to set talk us through from your opinion on what's happened with you the best way for them to approach something and the worst
7: way i think if you come on you're anything less than honest you're in trouble yeah if you okay. come on throwing your weight around when you don't know what you're doing people mm-hmm. will smell that if you come on uh you know pretending to be humble and uh, but actually forcing everybody to do what you want people can smell that i think the best thing is honesty it's about okay we're here we're trying to tell a story um mm-hmm. confidence is always really good you know mm-hmm. i did a film with john madden he controlled the read through he was always very uh on set he'd explain everything to everybody he'd get the actors in we'd rehearse a little bit when that was done he'd get the cameraman in ask him where he want to put the camera and what shots he want to do then he'd get the rest of the crew in Mm -hmm. explain what we were going to be doing and that is a very comfortable way to work because then everybody knows what they're doing they're all on the same page Mm. um so i i would just say you know uh, confidence in a director is kind of what you need but not that kind of confidence that makes you realize that they're they're actually terrified and throwing their weight around.
2: Sure. Yeah, I know that
7: that makes sense.
2: (laughs) Ah, that was the lovely Mark Strong there. Shazam is out in a couple of weeks. How exciting is that? He's the lead baddie. Look out for him in that in a couple of weeks. Right, so now we're going to give you some writing tips. Well, I'm not. Uh, Johnny Grant and Namita Kabbalas are. Johnny Grant is the co writer of The Dare With Me and he's written The Nobodies and recently he's been writing King Arthur as well. Um, Namita is a screenwriter and she helps scriptwriters get their projects made. They talk about scriptwriting here and The Hero's Journey.
9: Well, what he said was eventually audiences start getting wise to how films were going to play out. So you were going to see a movie and you were like, well, I know the midpoint's coming. I know the, the whiff of death's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know the third act break's coming. And it was all starting to become a little bit too predictable. So um, the challenge now is to use those key pointers as a guide where you can, but also not be too prescriptive Yeah. Um. that you, yeah. that you are following essentially rules that the audience subconsciously are aware of where the film becomes completely predictable.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You do find mm. your own journey and, is that what you find now with when you've started writing your first one? Did you sort of throw all those ideas out the window and just go, look, this is my story and these yeah. are the beats I'm going to follow because it works for me?
10: Um, not exactly. Um, I, for me, inspiration for my story just comes every day, like around me, what I come across everyday life. Um so it's like inspiration inspiration is around you wherever yeah. you go. So you take yeah? take mm-hmm.
9: inspiration from actual how actually how people act in real life.
10: Yeah, from even from TV shows uh, when you go to a typical shopping trip, it depends what your um yeah, com- what, yeah. what you want to write your story about as you've what got your the message. Ear for it. Obviously dialogues
9: yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Behaviors are everywhere. Exactly, Emotional yeah. responses are everywhere. I even... know from my own working in working for so long in addictions that I got to see that many human journeys, mm. yeah. and people who have full, fully fledged arcs or none at all, where yeah. they never change. Of course, yeah. That you could almost map individual, um, addicts' journeys to, um, to Christopher Vogler's model.
2: Yes. Oh. Where do you yeah. like to write? Because this is interesting. Oh. I know Johnny likes to write in his room. <laughs> I write wherever I bloody can. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I've got time. Oh. Have you got a specific place you like to write? And should you tell screenwriters
10: yeah. uh,
2: to find that place?
10: Yeah. I say write where you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how I write is I actually write in my office. My office at home, I write there. But however, most importantly, I take regular breaks just to get my mind refreshed. Because so this, this is where the ideas come in for me. Yeah. So yeah, I just work in bursts. Mm. I work they in do short bursts. Did you
9: say um, that most, like nine, on 60% of writing spent yeah. looking out the window? Not when you're actually writing. When you it's when true. Yeah,
10: it doesn't. It, yeah, it's true. Um, so most of your writing that doesn't take place when you actually write physically. Mm-hmm. It takes place in the mind. You're wherever mm-hmm. you are. The thoughts just come in. Mm-hmm. So when you get back to your desk, get back to where you want to write,
2: and it all comes flooding out. That was Johnny Grant and the meter Cabalas there on script writing. Okay, the next guest is a really fantastic guy. He made the feature film Monday in seven days for 14 grand, part of Robert Rodriguez's TV series. Um, At the moment, he's crowdfunding for Millennium Bugs, his next feature film, which finishes very soon. So do help him if you can. But here, he talks about shorts and writing something when it's not your first language.
11: There was always this element of fear as you're younger. I'm 36 now. And as you're younger, you don't – you're not really – or I wasn't really afraid of anything. Mm. So what I basically did, I just – I would write something that I identified with or something. Because remember, like English is not my first language. So when I did my thesis that I did in film school, which people can watch in uh, on my YouTube, it's called Warehouse Games. Mm. I was very afraid to write because I was like people are going to make fun of me because English is not my first language. And I'm trying to write – Uh, a comedy with a more I think it was just me wanting to be like fuck it just do it I just want to do a film I want to tell a story and not care what anyone thought and slowly 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 I started getting my own voice in scripts because one of the things that's like the the flip side of the coin is that I feel that I have a very like people can know when oh that's an Alejandro movie or that's Alejandro's movie because of the way it's said or certain things so i think i used my insecurity and used it to my advantage
2: that's great that's so important to do that and have your own voice and it's hard when you're starting out as a filmmaker to have your own voice even within your own shorts because exactly you're going okay well this time i'll do a comedy and then this one i want to do a slasher movie or right? you know and and within that it's very hard to have your own voice and what you've done very well throughout all your shorts is have a voice and you've made loads of shorts leslie lo-fi Um, the princess and the musician the joneses you know lots of really high-end quality shorts with great acting great performances and very well directed and obviously then you made monday the short which turned into the feature film that we have now how did you how did you find your process through that how did you work how did you get your team around you and you know how did you get the money for the shorts
11: honestly the shorts i it's out of my own pocket
2: there you go that's it guys that's what you got to do sometimes got to do it I
11: have a, my day job and mm-hmm. if i like the project a lot i would i mean they're not all big like i i have never spent more than 10 grand on anything right um and obviously that it doesn't that i can't accomplish those those projects without the help of friends that followed me that were like fuck it all right here we go let's just do it mm. where it's like I, you know i get a director of photography and i'm like dude i can only pay you 300 bucks
2: yeah yeah but but the project's great this is what we want to do with it you win because of the project it's not you're not doing this for the money you're doing this because this might be useful for you yeah and then then they might go yeah okay i'll come and do it but it's a tough sell sometimes but if people believe in you and i think that's what's really interesting you come across really well as a lovely person people believe in that and they believe in your vision and i think that's really important as a filmmaker to have your own voice and to be be a cool person don't be a dick you know? Don't be a
11: dick. <laughs> that, that means a lot. Man. That should that,
2: be on a t shirt, man. <laughs> you want to be a filmmaker? Hashtag don't be a dick. <laughs>
11: yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I, I am surrounded by people that not only do I love to hang out with, but are talented and I love to work with, and I consider my friends. So I really do consider myself to be incredibly lucky.
2: Mm. Alejandro Montoya Marin, there. Okay, joining me as guest host is Christian James on this one. This was with the fantastic documentary filmmaker Joe Perlman, uh, who made the Bros documentary When the Screaming Stops. He talks here about what happens in the editing room.
12: I'll be brutally honest when you're in an edit, and I'm sure everyone in this room agrees with me on this, um, everything goes out the window. Everything goes out the window. You say whatever you want. Yeah. You comment on whatever you want. You take the piss out of everything. Yeah. Because otherwise, what's you know, you've got to build that relationship, and it's got to be completely free. It's like being in the writers' room. No one will judge you. Yeah. Yes. You just say whatever you want, and it's fine. And I think I'm it, so glad you said
8: this as well. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you, you know mean. what I mean, yes. right?
12: Yeah. And and I think that um, I think that was a hugely important thing is that we were able to go from. Taking a step back and being able to kind of laugh a bit, and then enter back into it and be like, "Okay, now we've got to cut the mum section." Yeah, and yeah. being able to do those switches yeah. was co- a constant reminder that we were, you know, gunning towards something that was much more than just a point laugh.
2: So, in your edit room, then, have you got post-it notes around with all your specific scenes? How do you
12: do it in the edit room? Yeah, so I, we're we're very much cue card people. Cool. So we get um, lots of different colours. So we have comedy, pain, um, and also What colours. You comedy. Yellow. Red. Red. <laughs> red, actually. Red. I red. thought pain would be no, red. No, pain's blue. Do oh. you want to be calming when you look at these things, you know. confuse Get right. confused, me. Um, and then like... yellow and green for Matt and Luke. Um, oh, so we'd, so yes. we'd be putting you know all the luke scenes all the matt scenes and then be able to kind of move so those around those on a wall.
8: Balanced, uh, effectively, yeah
12: exactly so then you know the balance because also the one thing that we knew that if these boys watched the film and felt like it wasn't balanced mm. they would be angry they'd what be that? upset yeah, yeah and fair enough it's yeah of course it should be balanced about both of them exactly. and not just one absolutely ah the lovely
2: joe perlman there giving us some wonderful advice when you were in the editing room. Okay, next up is one of my favorite actors and people of all time. It's Scott Adkins. Ah, such a great guy, gave us so much of his time. Here he is talking about making action films, acting in action films, and on writing Accident Man.
8: A decisive path, or has there been things where it's sort of you've had offers and.
4: I knew what, was, what made me different. I, kn- I know what the attraction is still now for me. It's the fact mm-hmm. that I'm uh, an action guy an action actor Mm -hmm. and i'm very good at martial arts and you know i don't want to bring out a movie a load of movies where i'm not doing martial arts because i know that that's what people expect of me and listen i love it and that's what i set out to do which is great um yeah. yeah i think some people in the past have made a mistake of forgetting about all that and and now I'm going to go I like to try different things don't get me wrong Mm. I'm all all for it and stretch myself dramatically but I also want to keep giving people what they expect from me Mm. do you think there's a
2: difference between acting in an action film and acting in a regular film if you like without uh, not really Mm, Well, the
4: difference is you're much more tired if it's an action film yeah (laughs) so true if it's just an acting job, just an acting job, you know, you're going to go home and you're going to learn your lines for the next day. But if it's an action film, you've got to go home, get to the gym. Yeah, mm. yeah, true. You know, I, lift those weights. And you've got to prepare for the next uh, day. You've got to, you can't you get got to injured. rehearse all the fight scenes mm-hmm. and you've got to learn your lines for the next day.
2: And you've got to look good. It's a mixture. Yeah. It's
4: everything, right? Yeah, there's a much heavier workload.
2: It's a, a specific talent to be that good at martial arts and when you're saying the lines come across believable yeah. if people think it's easy it's really not it's really tough
4: there are some shots in Undisputed 3 where I'm literally falling asleep while the camera's on me I'm that really? tired wow but
8: because what's your route are you, are you gym in the morning then to set then so you're presumably even why you did well long for, the, for the
4: Boyka films I've got to look a certain way i yeah. a certain yeah. weight.
8: so is that yeah. and that would involve a lot of uh, trimming you don't use really, it you yeah. lose it so yeah. you
4: have to weight train yeah. all, every day um, even if you've done a, a whole day of fight sequence.
8: Wow. So you
2: you're know. still going to go train as yeah, well? Yeah, you've, you've got to get it done.
4: Yeah. it's it, it can be difficult. Okay. In fact, when I did an audition for a big movie and the producer was there, big producer, mm-hmm. and he said just before I was going to make, or just after I'd made Accident Man, he says, congratulations on making Accident Man because I owned the uh, the rights for many years and we were never never able to figure it out. Wow. So that was nice to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I met that guy. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just started writing it with Stu. Um, kind of thinking in my head, well, I'll get a real writer.
9: Not that Stu's not a real writer, but. <laughs> no offense Stu. but yeah. No I know what no you mean. Stu knows.
8: Yeah, yeah. Cock awkward conversation you <laughs> <with> have in <laughs> the room. Hey, let's get on a writing No, sheet. because Stu yeah. hadn't
4: had anything, uh, at the time, he hadn't had anything, uh, made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. So, but in my head, I was thinking, you know, we're a couple of knuckleheads. We'll, uh, maybe we'll get somebody get else to do some yeah. it. How we get something, get something, let's just yeah, it turns out it turned out really really well and mm-hmm. we managed to get Sony to uh, agree to make the film. Um, you know, cutting a long story, very short. Uh, but yeah, I wrote it really because I didn't want to have to pay someone to do it. So right. I did it with me and my mate. Yeah, and because yeah. you
2: were producing it, you were like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I might as well do this myself. I yeah, be- I,
4: let's get us to a certain point and then maybe we bring someone in, but we didn't need to in the end. Because it was strong enough. Yeah, it was strong yeah, enough. Yeah, absolutely. And it all came together and... Uh, it was low budget sure low yeah. Budget. Yeah. yeah well we had four doing. weeks to make it okay. yes okay. Okay. okay okay that was as much as we could squeeze yeah,
8: yeah. four whole weeks
4: four whole yeah. weeks but a lot of action as well wow lots of fights lot-
2: and explosions yeah. and yeah. all sorts going on and and as we but we're very- talking
4: it film those fights sequentially it takes a bit longer to do it as well when when it came to doing it i to, i gave the first my schedule and said look i know you, things are going to have to change but certainly for the action this is, this is what's take. happening this is how long i need i don't don't hear anything i'd fucking
2: love that if someone came to me and said i know how long this is going to take i understand how to shoot it yeah and did you work with a director on that as well
4: i've done so many action films Mm -hmm. that i i just know what it takes how much time it's going to take to make a yeah well everything not just the action scenes but you know this is how long it should take to 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 shoot a scene because i've done it so many times up to that point
2: that was the delightful scott adkins there i hope you enjoyed that Remember, you can listen to all of these podcasts in full on our website just type in the person's name you want to listen to and you will find it okay next up is the actor and producer seth michaels and i love this quote i love this little story he told us it's the difference he feels between acting and producing
1: at this moment, I had, uh, two nights ago, I flew in from, uh, from America into Italy and I was jet lagging. I, I was up at one in the morning and I was staring at the ceiling in pitch darkness. And this just came to me. What's the difference between acting and producing? You know, acting, uh, is pretty much shagging. You know, it's like, uh, compared to, like you go shag and that's the acting, right? I, I was just doing a movie and I just shot a movie in, in Dothan, Alabama. I gotta go play the Southern guy in 1940. So I gotta speak like that, you know, sort of <laughs> yeah. that sudden thing. you know, I gotta do, and I'll show up, go to my hotel. I get picked up, go to set, shoot my scene, go back to the hotel and repeat the next day for two weeks yeah. producing, you know, it's actually the shagging, which is exciting, you know, getting the money, you know, sort of the inception of the script and, and then. Giving birth to a child and raising that child for eighteen years, and then oh, we're gonna go to college. <laughs> you know, it's 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 that's producing. No, 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 it's, it, it, and I'm saying I'm like I'm gonna say that next uh, next next interview, and here we are. Yeah, Um it's spot on. I, I like
8: yeah, it. it. It's a good it's, analogy. And, and, no, you know, true. it's like
1: and then, you know, and then surprises come up. You know, yeah. uh, it's like oh no, I want this and I want that, and accidents. I mean, there's yeah. so many things that could go wrong, and at the same time, that can go great. Maybe but I thought ch- the
8: kid was gonna go to Harvard, yeah. and now yeah, <laughs> now, now he's yeah. Uh
1: So that you know that 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 was sort of like okay, that's. The difference between the two, mm-hmm. um, I think we kind of touched on controlling your own destiny, you know, creating yeah. your own projects that you're passionate about, you know, because there's times I found myself doing something that I like, but I wasn't truly passionate about, you know, and I did it because, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have that experience. But now I get to pick the, the work, you know, I have a group of writers now that we work together with me and, and we look at things. I'm like, you know, this this is a story I want to tell. This mm. is what I'm passionate about. And, uh, and, you know, I'm excited about it, you know, because when you're excited about something, you're passionate about it. So you do do anything to yeah. do it.
2: Seth Michaels there. I love that quote. Uh, he's the producer of St. Agatha, by the way. Uh, you can rent that now. Coming up next, Claire Aniam Osigwe. She was with her husband, Emmanuel. But here, Claire talks about making her film No Shade and the experiences she went through.
13: After doing the first table read, the actors were like, "Claire, this really, this is so, really important because as black actors and as black people, mm-hmm. we know what's going on. We yeah. hear these this rhetoric all day, every day in the barber shop, at the hair shop, you know, at your clinic, wherever. Mm-hmm. There's two or three or more black people. It will be spoken about in some way. Yeah. You need to rewrite this as a feature lamp so that we can really tell this story and what's going on. Yeah. So I, I, re- I." took me another month did a couple drafts wrote it uh did another read there's 20 parts now instead of the st- initial six new title no shade because yep. the line for me was no shade is superior that's the kind of pinnacle line it's a in great the title though. right it
2: really is a strong title
13: and so that was born and then literally i was like we're shooting this Mum." so that was that was november and then we shot january two weekends So that was five days.
2: You shot the whole film in five days?
13: Six days, so we had a pick up day. Oh, six days! Oh, just All six right. day. yes, oh,
2: that ain't impressive. <laughs> <Did> that <laughs> and she started We're it, trying right? to break a record. Right. I know. Right. I this know, is know. pretty impressive. Insane. We've had a guy on the podcast insane. who made a film in two days. Phil Hawkins. His was set right. in one location. Yours wasn't. No, yours was no. set in many locations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and maybe you had one but, corner and then move around to another. I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
13: we used like one flat and turned ch- it ch- ch- into four different homes. So again, being I guess a makeup artist, you sort of design. It's all designed it's to me, cottage. so like, I'll just dress that like that, and that will look like a different house. And if you dress mm. this room, we picked a three-bedroom house in no- northwest London, and then we had a bar. So the bar became the wedding reception, as well as a place of work, as well as the place where people were meeting to go on dates, uh parks, bridge, bridge, bridge. even our flat by the end of it. Of course, it, you, you know, do. Yeah, different roads. Yeah, I guess it was about five to eight locations. Okay, um, not
2: too bad, but still too difficult. Too the yeah. location moves that the Yeah,
13: tougher. yeah, and the weather changes as well. You yeah, know, like yeah, from especially in January, like mm. shooting was quite tight because it's like fifteen minutes time it's sundown, and da, 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 you know. So in the color grade, there was you know just some leveling up to do, but I think it was a mixture of like. Magic and mayhem. I think that's what filmmaking is about, really. Yeah,
2: it's just insane. Fascinating. Loving that. Thank you, Claire Aniam or Sigway. I hope you're enjoying this so far. Um, I'm just drip feeding you fantastic information and tips and tricks for you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it um, because there's more to come and some more great ones as well. Uh, next up is Peter Dumphy. He's an exec producer and he's a financial pretty much a financial whiz and expert on EIS and SEIS. If you want to know more about that, listen to the whole podcast with him. He really goes into detail and it's absolutely fantastic. But here he talks about how he
14: became a producer. It was a learning process. And okay. um, what, what, what is certainly true, and I think I, a lot of people in the industry will have the same experiences, every film that you're involved in, you make big mistakes and you say, I'm not going to do that again. Um, and you sometimes do do exactly the same thing again. But what you do also do is hopefully, uh, move up and progress and learn. And whilst you might make more mistakes on your next projects, maybe you're making different mistakes Mm. and, and you're fine tuning it as you go along. So I started off by, uh, putting far too large amounts of money into projects that were never going to get me any return. Okay. Um, and you obviously didn't know that at the time.
8: Uh, absolutely not.
7: No. Mm. So, so. And what, were
8: the, the, what were the key mistakes there, I suppose? What, was the, what, mm. what, what sort of common mistakes were you making?
14: The biggest mistake, and this is a common mistake I think made by a lot of people financing films or investing in films, is not looking at the route to market. Mm-hmm. It, it's who is going to buy this yeah. and why do you think that they are going to buy this? Yeah. Because a lot of people who are making films they see the object just to make the film. Once they've wrapped, mm. it's job done. Yeah. And they're yeah. not really thinking about distribution deals and sales. And, of course, if you're not thinking about those distribution de- deals and sales, then you can't do a good job for the investors. because uh, and, and a lot of people actually think that once the investors have put the money into the film, that's the end of it.
8: Yeah, yeah. Um, because they get paid in the production, so is that part of the inherent problem in in the way the independent film world works in the UK? It it is a problem because, uh, as you say, for a lot of people involved in producing a
14: film, in in most jobs producing a film, once the film is made, their job is done and mm. they move on to the next one. Mm.
2: Okay, I mean, let's take a a project and from the ground up that comes to you guys at Gizmo, and you sort of go, okay, we like this, we could develop this. How do you go about then? turning it into reality and going okay what's the whole process behind it
14: okay well there's two quite different things that we do one of which is starting a project from a relatively early stage Mm -hmm. um, and that may only be at script stage Um, and the objective is firstly to uh, see if you can get the interest letters of engagement or, or at least letters of interest from cast Mm -hmm. if if it's a a fiction stage two is to secure a sales agent so who is going to distribute it Ah, as you do that early then so that early um because to be honest if you can't sell it to the sales agents at that stage you're not going to sell it to distributors once it's been made that's my experience Mm -hmm. and so getting that getting thinking about who's going to sell it and how much they're going to sell it for at a really early stage. And my advice would be, uh, unless you're doing something sort of fairly micro-budget, um, my advice would be that if you can't get distributor or sales agent interest at the early stage of the project, get another project. Mm-hmm.
6: Because what a lot
14: of people do is uh, they, they plow on and on and on with the project that they have Um, irrespective of all of the people saying no. And a a lot of people out there say, if you keep on trying, you know, you'll eventually succeed. Well, unfortunately, that isn't always the case.
2: That was Peter Domphy. His film Funny Cow that he produced is available now. Okay, cracking on with it. Um, Lucinda Thacker came in to talk to me and Andy Roger, my co host for the day about producing in general and how she started making historical action. She is, by the way, my producer on the King Arthur Project. Uh, and we had quite a laugh. I hope you enjoy.
15: When I wanted to produce, I called people like us, Luke Himes, who we worked with on Kate Modern and yep. Plate Drama and asked for advice and some other producers. I used to go to Cannes every year, so I picked up a lot of contacts um, and just jumped headfirst into it. And um, I started making Essex Vendetta and that was a self-financed film by the director. So he asked me to produce that for him.
2: Was that mind-blowing at first, what you had to actually do? Because it is one thing being an actor and seeing it all getting made and then actually making it because there's so much goes into it. It's getting
15: everybody together because we're very hands-on. Jeet and myself, uh, Jeet, my co-producer and and husband of Pitch Perfect, we get involved to you know every, every every aspect of it you know some producers maybe don't get involved as much as us and not that they sit in chairs and point fingers but you know they they don't get down to the gritty you know speaking to the production designer speaking to the costume designer, and makeup and hair and, and everything and going okay what does everybody need how can we make this work together mm. fine you know casting we cast all our own films ourselves as well um, it saves bringing... money for one doesn't it <laughs> it does save money oh, yeah. but also you know we want it to be right we want to go out and search for the for the right characters as well that work for the production because you can have a great you know production designer or or actor or whatever but you've got to find the right characters to make that work because I always believe it's like a necklace you know one of those links breaks it it all falls apart Mm. whether it be a runner you know DP leading man anything you know you've got to have the right characters and personalities to make it work as well
2: yeah it's a great way of saying um, it actually it's yeah, really yeah, nice yeah.
15: oh good yeah. it makes sense i've said something right you've said a lot of, <laughs> things, <laughs> right. Thanks
2: a lot of things yeah yeah you're doing well you're winning a lot of friends right now
15: ah oh, you and i have got friends andrew any friends <laughs> no i don't need friends no. do you
12: think um yes uh, i can't imagine there was another way to make a film uh, smaller budgets than than have that kind of care about every little element i imagine is that
15: well i have been on other people's sets um of similar budgets and um it it has seemed slightly disjointed. Right. Because it, it because the finance isn't there, it's not that you have to go with, you know, who will do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but it kind of is as well. You know, right. you get a lot of maybe inexperienced first timers and people don't take so much time to kind of find the right people for
16: sure.
15: Yeah. You know, because they're frightened the people. They're frightened to ask people as well. Right. Like because of oh, that person won't do it because, you know, we can't pay them full rates we'll ask them they might actually like the script they yeah, might it's like true. the team it's true. Yeah. It might, yeah. they might be free
7: yeah.
15: for two weeks and go yeah do you know what these are good guys that's a really good script the project is green lit it's got a release date I'm not doing anything you know let's 100%. help yeah. the indie world out definitely yeah, yeah. You know, so that's I think true. people are afraid yeah. to ask
0: hmm yeah.
2: Producer Lucinda Thackra there, her film Robin Hood, The Rebellion, we talk about in detail making an action, historical action film. Uh, Again, you can listen to that full episode about how they made Robin Hood, The Rebellion on the podcast. There's so much advice given on all these podcasts. It was difficult to pick bits and pieces, but I wanted to share with you Daisy Aitken's writing process and her move into directing.
17: I had written scripts since I was like 10. So... It was really, I think it's kind of the annoying thing of like working really hard, you'll find a way. Mm, and see. it is, it's putting energy in a certain direction, it will come in the I other agree. direction. I, I think yeah. that's
8: absolutely spot on. And you've
17: got to become brilliant. And yes. that I think it's yeah. the yeah. Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. I think you've got to really, really work at it. Yeah. The more you but put the, in, then, the better. Well, yeah. yeah. But the cream
2: <laughs> does rise to the top. I do agree with that. If there'll ever be it a moment
8: rise. where you say, you know, again, if, 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 if there's a moment where you say, bloody hell, I'm brilliant things are probably going wrong.
6: (laughs) So it's definitely going wrong. I can't
2: imagine anyone, I I don't know, I've never met anyone who says, oh my God, I'm brilliant. Because if you do get to that point, it's over, right? Yeah, they're probably not brilliant if they say that. Because we all procrastinate. We all sit there with our scripts and go, oh my God, I can't do this, or on set and go, oh my God, what am I doing? It's a delicate
8: balance, isn't it, of looking at what you've done second guessing and saying is that good enough is it good enough mm. but then when you get to set i think being confident say, okay it's as good as it's mm. going to be
17: and i th- i think everyone feels like they're blagging and mm-hmm. they're about to be found out i yeah. think that's just the default position for most people who are even vaguely humble yes um so you ju- once you just kind of accept that yeah you know, then feel the, the fear and do it anyway basically mm. Mm.
2: what's your writing process then when you obviously when you're doing the tv you have yeah. to fit in a formula so you're almost like Picking the boxes and yeah. putting the words into those scenes, right? Is it
17: yeah, well, it was kind of different working on the two shows I worked on early on in my career were with a writer's room, mm-hmm. so um, that's always a really fun experience because you go in there and you're just you're just talking about your life and telling stories, and then you find wow. things like. All into the script and you're pitching jokes and and I always had really friendly rooms which was great I've heard horror stories about some rooms in America which are quite terrifying mm. um but everyone was always really nice and and that's a much more collaborative process and then writing on my own for um well for film I I think for film I'm a little more creative and i take a bit of time for the idea to marinate and i'm and then i get a bit type a where it's all carded out mm. and um and then i'm working out the outline and the outline has to be like just perfect before i actually set out upon the script but um for the first you know sometimes it's like a couple of months i'm, I'm sort of doing it at the moment and it's been three weeks of me just writing ideas on hundreds and hundreds of cards. So just scene ideas and taking the concept of um, the idea of the film and thinking what are funny ways to reflect that. Mm. Um, What are possible scene ideas? What are possible characters? And then I get all those cards and I look at most of them and go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> and and then the others I kind of vaguely fashion into an outline. And then that becomes the beginning outline. And then I whittle that down and whittle that down. And then um, and then I start on the script. And when I'm starting on the script, it's usually like 10 pages a day. I sort of. Wow. OK. Yeah. I That's get quite. Quite into Military. It. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. That's the only way I think I can do it because generally it's like. If you were just going to do it when inspiration strikes, i just never work. But so. what happens
2: when you have those moments where it's the block, it, it, the inspiration isn't there and you're doing it? I just force through hours. it
17: and I just write really crap scenes. And I then think, I get quite I, depressed the next day. No, which I, I think day, think that's the, way, I that's to that's do the do way to do I, it. Yeah.
2: Daisy is the director of You, Me and Him, starring David Tennant and Faye Marseille. Okay, jumping straight in. Next on our list is Craig Conway. And he talks about raising finance here. Craig is an actor, of course he is, and he's a producer of the feature film Broken. Take a listen to this.
18: But then with Broken, yeah, that that was the first time I thought, right, I'm going to do a film on my own as a producer. Um, and Sean Robert Smith, uh, who's a, a real huge talent, and I read the script and I just said, oh, God, man, I was like this is a feature there's something in this. It needs to be a feature because you're, you're throwing too much in it being a short. He said, well, how much could we shoot for? I said, well, it's one location. It's a house mm-hmm. and it's two actors really for the, for the most of it. So, you know, let, let's say we go for a hundred grand. That, that's it. Let's see what we can do. Um, and he went, well, if you can get the money, yeah, you, you try it. So, yeah. um, about, I think it was about three or four days later, we had the 75 grand. Wow. Um, and 10 weeks later, we developed the script and we were shooting.
2: I sm- so this, that's <laughs> fantastic. How did you suddenly four days later get the 75 grand talent? Cause this is fascinating it, for our
18: listeners. Yeah. Well, at the time, there was, there was a, a, a kind of a few companies around. Um, asking about, you know, what what projects are you doing, what finance and all this kind of stuff. So I'd been approached by them. They they said they had a a bit of money left over from a a particular investor Mm -hmm. and he needed to put some money into something. And I just said, well, look, I've got this idea. I said, but it's a short, I need to make it into a feature. So we're going to have to write. And they just said, well, actually, this is a closing end of finance for them. Go for it and and that really it was just one of those strokes of luck right um but then you start looking into it afterwards and realize that there are many people out there i think want to invest in film the the biggest problem is the return how do you distribute how do you market it how do you get it into market and how do you get a comeback for everybody Mm -hmm. you know um and that is that is a, a big quagmire of difficulty yeah but but it's becoming more possible. Now I'm stepping into even the the platform release um, uh, side of things and looking at how we connect and create platforms for independent filmmakers to get their materials out within the UK and the rest of the world, but also how we can get the investors their money back and get everybody, the creators, the cast and crew, to share in the revenues, which is what you ultimately want, so people can keep going. You know, And there is enough there. There is enough money to do that. Yeah. We just have to um, be slightly more aggressive to get people to wake up.
2: Love him. That was a fantastic Craig Conway. Love his stories. And he really wants to shake up the British film industry. And I really believe he'll do that. And what leads us on perfectly from Craig Conway? Because Craig introduced me to this man. And this man is... The director of the upcoming Hellboy. He's also the director of Dog Soldiers, The Descent, and Doomsday. It is, of course, Neil Marshall, and he's talked to us about making Dog Soldiers, pushing your project through, and rule breaking.
8: From that kind of came Dog Soldiers, is yes. that right?
16: Well, sort of, yeah, because, um, so yeah, it was 1995, I think it was, and. Everybody, everybody in the the region that was kind of wanting to get in the film, is all pooled together into this production of Killing Time, wow. and I co-wrote it and edited it and was like the action coordinator on it, and, wow. did, and you know, and, and one day I directed it because the director passed out because of exhaustion. Wow because um, oh, it's we, hard
2: to make feature films it's hard it's make it, yeah we,
16: we were all, like everybody was working for nothing mm-hmm. we were doing very very long hours I think the longest day we did was 25 hours God. filming straight well that,
2: that goes into the next day right <laughs> yeah, but, uh, without, a, without
16: a filming straight for, t- for literally 25 20, hours was wow, just unbelievable so people I'm were assuming it's a non-union and, union. Uh, uh, union what's that union <laughs> yeah. uh, no it was it was it was rough but everybody was volunteered for it and was yeah. up for it and you know and it was but it was a great experience um so we we did that and then uh, myself and keith bell who's the uh um production manager on it mm. i was sitting down watching sitting on set one day watching the chaos ensue and just <laughs> saying um we you know i think we can do this better and i think we can do this where like people get paid yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. and and we're like okay let's so uh, let's let's make that happen somehow and at some point Around, the, around then, I was like... I came up with the idea of soldiers versus werewolves. Yeah. I was like, okay, soldiers versus werewolves. Okay, that's that's ambitious, but mm. it's a cool idea.
8: And <laughs> at the time as well, in the industry, in the UK industry at the time, genre-y stuff wasn't... Like, now it's quite common to have a British, you know, yeah. horror... No, I mean, the, nothing uh, was, was being done. Merchant Ivory like, or, uh, you yeah. know, Your Four Weddings. Nothing, that nothing
16: in that genre was being done at that time. I mean, the, you know, the last significant horror film in the UK was like Hellraiser.
8: Yeah, I can remember yeah. being weird. I remember seeing Dog Soldier posters and thinking, Oh, it's a British horror me-. You know, I remember yeah. at the time it being a kind of a strange and that, and that thing. Mm-hmm. That, you and know, that was the you know,
16: from the moment I wrote it and we started taking it out to people, that was the response we got was it's like we don't do that, you know, it's not mm-hmm. our cup of tea. British film industry doesn't do this kind of thing. We've got Oscars to win and Rich and Ivory stuff to do and, you know, and social realism and all that kind of stuff to do. And yeah. we're like yeah, but there's room for werewolves too, surely. Surely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. surely. Um, and they would say, you know, the response was it's way too ambitious. Yeah. Um, you know, go to go to America with it or something like that. It was and it was that kind of negative and that kind of you know arsy about it. Yeah. But then we actually got the producer of Hellraiser on board, wow. and we got a sales agent on board, and um, we started doing like designs for the werewolves and things like that. And then it got taken to AFM, mm. where this um millionaire guy from Arkansas called Dave Allen, who wanted to get into film investment, wanted to get into filmmaking, was always wanting to make a werewolf movie, apparently. I'd seen, saw our designs, read the script, and was like, okay, I'll, I'll finance the movie, basically. Oh my and he was an Arkansas spinach magnate. Mm. His family had made their fortune in canned spinach. I well, do love spinach just... myself. So. Um, and uh, <laughs> and and he wanted to finance the film, and um, right. so a combination of him and the, the Luxembourg Film Fund, because mm-hmm. so we ended up shooting it there. But this is a long period of time. This is from the, from from first draft to making it was six years. Wow. What rule would you break? I mean, the thing is to try and wh- wherever possible, try and break some rules. Mm-hmm. Try and do something different. I mean, the first thing is to say. There are no rules. There shouldn't be any rules. Yeah. Not when it comes to, to making films. Um, so the, the first rule is remember there are no rules. Nice. And just, you know, tell the story. Yep. However you choose to tell it, but tell it well.
2: There it was, folks. That was the lovely Neil Marshall. Uh, he gave us so much of his time. It was a two-parter with him. Um, and it was quite recent, so you might have heard that recently. But I thought it would be nice to just give you a little taster of it. Speaking of tasters timothy spall joined us who is obviously wormtail from harry potter and he's been mr turner and oh god the list goes on Uh, and he's also in stanley a man of variety which is on pre-sale now and will be out on dvd very soon tim and stephen cookson join us to talk about the difference between indian studio films and the importance of having a good director
0: Oh, it's. Um, I think that also funny. Now that was the first film I'd ever done yeah. in Hollywood. I'd never. I'd, all those years, I've been. Uh, oh. I never decided. I said I'd never going to go over there and hang around. Mm. I said I'd only go when they waited, when they asked me. Twenty eight years later, <laughs> and I really, really had a ball. Yeah, really, it was a good. It was a good experience.
2: What was the difference between making British films and then going over and making something like that, which is well, a big Hollywood?
0: Everything's. Film. It's a bit like. You know, our film is like two different scale models. Mm. You know, our film's like a scale, like two scale smaller. Yes. When you go to America, everything feels like it's been inflated. Yeah. Everything's bigger. Uh, you know, the the, the, the schedules longer. Mm. The, the vehicles are longer. <laughs> uh, the, the hanging around, the hanging around is longer. Yeah. Uh, but what is marvelous about it is that when you get there, the people on the coalface who make the things mm. are just the same as us lot. You know, they want to get on with it. They're just, te- all they're doing is telling a story mm-hmm. with a bloody camera, load of actors, a lot of clever people who making it look nice, uh, and trying to tell a story on, 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 you know, on screen. And that's, it's exactly the same principle, just on a bigger or smaller scale. That's all we ever do. No, you know, the mystery is what comes out at the end, not the process. There you go. Um, and that was your
2: way in from there you went i want to direct yeah. wanna make stuff i want okay, to write cool.
5: scripts and that's how i started off
0: you, yeah. you can't it- underestimate the, the the power of someone making it feel all right on a set you know because you know what it's like when you come on a set you however much work you've done pre-work you're on there there's about 400 people who look like you're the least important thing in the world yeah. they're all messing with knobs messing about no one's taking any notes of what you're saying. All of us, you lose your confidence easily. So when you've got a director that, you know, you feel, you know, even without say anything, he's got your back watching it and, and allowing you to, you know, and if you, even if it's sort of wrong, Steve doesn't say it. No, no, it's kind of, like, well, you know, let's just have another go. And then it's like it's not, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, Sometimes not saying anything is as big as coming in. You know, yeah, when it's like, yeah. you try, you know, you go, because, oh, they're telling me what to do. That means they think, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if they just let it happen, often that'll increase will get rid of the demon in you and yeah. something else will come out as long as it's it's a it's a facilitating
2: yes.
18: which
0: is a very, very, very you know, important. very important talent, I think. I
5: think also Tim is because I really care and mm. you know I really yeah, care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not sort of flippant about anybody on the no. set. I'm I really care. Yeah. I think that that's important for new filmmakers.
0: Yes. So no, he does and he respects really everybody. Care. He respects I do. all that every department, you know, make sure they all everything's all right, you mm. know
2: the delightful timothy Spaller. okay we're getting right near the end and i'm loving it there were so many i could have picked from so many okay that is it this has been our hundredth episode of the podcast i hope you've enjoyed it because coming up on tuesday is episode 101 and it is with scott Mann. and remember you can make your indie film you can go do it And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. So we will see you on Tuesday for the Scott Mann episode. But what I'll do now is I'm going to leave you with the wise words of Scott Adkins. Thank you for listening. Like, share and subscribe and all that gubbins. Till next time. Take care.
4: I just believe that, you know, anything's achievable Mm -hmm. if, if you want it enough. Yeah. But more importantly um, you've got to get after it and you've got to, you've got to work hard for it yep. but there's nothing stopping you um, I've always been I get it from my parents they're, they're grafters right. so I get after it you know I, I know what needs to be done and uh, I don't waste the day I try to stay proactive so maybe get off the PlayStation for a little bit maybe put down the weed <laughs> uh, let's go and get it if you want it enough
2: yeah great advice I yeah. love that